0: And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on FishingBooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at FishingBooker.com to book your trip today. You know what my favorite text is? A waypoint in the Onyx Hunt app to a goblin turkey. My name is Clay Newcomb, and this is a production of the Bear Grease podcast called the Bear Grease Render, where we render down, dive deeper, and look behind the scenes of the actual Bear Grease podcast, presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. welcome to the bear grease render this is the late august edition the bear grease render
1: the hottest one of the year Dogs, <laughs> the, hot, yep.
0: the hottest bear grease render of the year it was 103 in my truck pulling up was it yeah. 103 do you know what is unusual about ursus americanus the american black bear is that it's an animal with a black coat lots of fat thick hair all year round they, they're not like a mule that has like a thick coat in the winter and then sheds it like they're pretty much hairy the whole year temperature doesn't seem to affect bears for real like when guys hunt in the fall the best thing that it could be joe on opening day for an arkansas bear season would it would be there would be a 90 degrees no kidding no i mean it, it's totally
1: backwards from deer hunting well you know i've got some black hair some fat <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, you I, like the heat too? <laughs> yeah. What's your take? Uh, my take is is I've been searching for a town named November April, oh. and if I can move there, I'll be at peace for the remainder of my life because I just think that those two months are the premium months of the year. Those so are some El Primo months. Let's just honor this bear for being able to tolerate all that it tolerated. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we've kind of got a skeleton crew here on the render this week.
0: We had we we had one guy that was coming was charged by a bear as, th- as th- threw him off must have thrown his schedule off. <laughs> Colby Moorhead, owner of Bear Honey Magazine, on his way here had a great story, but I guess the bear charged messed up his schedule and now he's not going he to be able to probably messed
1: up more than one schedule <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah maybe so he probably had to go home and change clothes yeah.
1: didn't he I believe his schedule's messed up for a few hours <laughs>
2: to be fair if a bear charged me I'd need more than an
0: afternoon to walk that off So,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but we do have Joe Wilson yes sir the the founder of the world championship squirrel cook off yeah. I told you we were going to have you back on before the event in September so it's good to have you Joe's kind of like a one-man circus when it comes to podcasts. Joe's the Joe's the El Primo podcast guest. I could just be like, "Welcome to the Bear Grease Render. take it, Joe." And Joe (laughs) could just start (laughs) uh, talking.
3: You want Jonathan out of leave? (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: But we have we have Joe's sidekicks. No, not (laughs) you. You guys just met Joe today, but longtime friend Ben Lagrone. Good to see See you, Ben. Good afternoon. It's uh, good to have you. Ben's been, uh, he's been after, he's been getting some pictures of some nice deer. And then uh, my other longtime friend, Jonathan Webster. What's up? I'm really just here for the
2: apple butter. I was hoping that there might be
0: a second render of apple. Mm. I missed my oh. opportunity. You know what? If I'd have thought about it, I'd have brought a jar out and I would have said the most valuable guest of the day oh. <laughs> gets, a gets the jar. Joe gets the
1: jar. We're talking <laughs> the apple butter.
0: Yeah, yeah you do anything yeah. for apple butter with oh, Man,
1: you? that apple butter boy. Man,
0: I, so okay, my conversation today is kind of revolving around bears because yesterday we started baiting bears. We did we did our inaugural trip into the mountains to bait bears. So I'm thinking about bears. Apple butter though. 15 18 years ago when we bought this land. Uh it's we've lived here almost 20 years. I started buying apple trees. And I'm, I'm going to give you a, a, an orchard lesson. Inside the lesson, you're going to learn about a little bit about bears, not much, but you're going to learn more about orchards. The best time to start an orchard was five years ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so you better start it now so that five years from now, you'll be happy. When I bought this place, I started buying discount apple trees in like mid summer. At Lowe's. The ones with no leaves. No, yeah. yeah, I got you. Yeah. yeah, the the little the little crooked ones with like four <laughs> leaves that are like twelve ninety nine used to be twenty nine ninety nine. I didn't know the floor model applied to agriculture. Oh <laughs> yeah,
1: that's the same way I buy ribeyes. I wait till they get that yellow tag on them. Yeah. yeah. My they're, father in law calls it half rotten. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, half price too.
4: Yeah, yeah. exactly.
0: Okay. okay. That's mistake number one. If you're gonna plant an orchard, you need to go not to your big box stores. You need to go to a local nursery and find the, the disease resistant and, and the, the, the good species of peach, apple, cherry, whatever you're after that will grow in your region because Lowe's doesn't care. Right. So uh, I started planting these trees. Yeah. I started planting these trees. And basically today, 17, 18 years later, I have six good apple trees that are probably six inches at the base. I mean, like, full-grown apple trees. And they have produced sporadic yields for all these years. But the life lesson from this, Joe, is that I've got six beautiful trees. I bet I've planted 25. Did blight oh, hit them? Wow.
1: Man, weed eaters got them. Deer got <laughs> them. Drought got them. Because you know the history in Arkansas with the apple trees. Yes. I don't. What's that? Well, I mean— uh, this is
0: Come Back to Apple Butter. Okay. Take <laughs> it, Joe. All right. The podcast of one. Here we go.
1: <laughs> so, like, if if you're driving through uh, Bentonville, we got a street called Moberly, and that was home of Moberly Apples, right? And so, between apple cider, apple vinegar, and, and apples, Arkansas was the place. It was export. Northwest Arkansas was
0: exporting America's apples. Yeah. we For right. were we're a time
1: period. Where Washington gets the credit now, that's what Arkansas was for... Few decades, multiple yeah, decades, yep. and then a blight come through. It's the same blight that took out the chickapint, the mm. chicken oak, mm. and wiped out these apples. And so our farmers had to come up with a new idea, and just so happens they got feathers on. Them. <laughs> we started poultry. Directly. at no yeah. yeah. Chicken
0: farming. That was yeah. our backup plan, huh? Yeah. You know, so the, the, apples used to be big here, exporting apples all over. So there is an apple blight. And so those traditional, like, mainstream strains of apples die. So you need to get, like, uh, I think there's one called uh, Arkansas Black.
4: Arkansas Black. That's real
0: yeah. good. But these are big box store apple trees that have survived. They just produce a real good crop every couple of years. But this year, they produced a good crop. But the whole point of the story, Jonathan you keep distracting Uh, was I planted those trees for bear bait. Mm. That's why I planted them. I mean, that that's a hundred percent why I planted them. I wanted good, cheap bear bait. But today my family makes apple butter off of those trees. It's secondary use. It's kind of like not best use,
1: but good enough. How many sacks of apples did you carry off in the woods? This. just I,
0: I didn't use very many of them for baiting bears it was, a great idea it was a great idea back in the day I hear you. but uh no i only yesterday i only took about probably 30 40 pounds of apples what's, that were on the ground what's
1: the prime apple or the prime bear bait i mean what would you is it little debbie treats day old donuts uh, any
0: anything that'll make a human fat and unhealthy a bear will love um I'm getting my bait from a commercial bear bait distributor. There's there's commerci- several big commercial bear bait distributors that send stuff all over the, the country. There are companies that deal with the waste, the byproduct, or- the, big. How I don't know where it comes from, but there's a lot of really great food that goes to waste and goes to animal feed and bear bait. So like yesterday, we were buying uh, granola stuff with candies and, and gummies and marshmallows and circus peanuts and stuff like that. But we also use corn and dog food. I mean, I, man, i I've, I've. Baited bears with just about everything. They they like bread, donuts, all that stuff. Back in two thousand nine,
2: I was working at a local restaurant, and you called me up and asked about getting into the grease trap and uh, getting the leftover fry grease. And I think we wow, made that well, happen. I didn't think one you were going to
0: bring this up. Listen, it render. worked.
4: I, I guess. I mean, you came and got it.
0: Oh yeah, grease is grease is
2: really good. Can, can I ask how, you? That's a how you got
4: on the render. He hadn't forgotten.
2: That's that. the that the fourteen years ago, the solid
0: contribution of five pounds of grease. <laughs> is, is a spring bear tastier than a fall bear? Um, I have never been able to tell the
1: difference. Really, Cause, I have not. Because you know, like for our squirrels for the squirrel cook-off, a spring squirrel is twice the squirrel as a fall. Really? Well, that's because them squirrels are climbing up the trees and they're eating that old bitter, you know, hull off of the hickory nuts or the walnuts or, or the pecans or whatever, and so that bitter taste actually transfers into the meat. So I was just now is that in the spring or the fall? That's in the fall. Okay. So in the spring, the squirrels eating berries and sweet, you know, sweet grains and all of this nice, good food that translates right in. I mean, it's no different than uh, a finished beef cow
0: yeah. compared well, to
1: a grass. Joe, spring. I don't
0: think my palate is delicate enough to be able to, oh, Clay, to tell the yeah, difference. Yeah. <laughs> no, but they do say, they do say that for sure in the spring, a bear is going to be more lean than a fall bear. And so people would like a, a fall bear would be and i don't like using this term because i don't think the greasy deal yeah hmm. i mean uh, a bear's not any more greasy than a ribeye beefsteak or or yeah you take my bear meat that i grind that we make burgers out of meatloaf ever spaghetti tacos and brown it next to a plate a a a deal of eighty twenty beef and you're going to have way more fat in that 80-20 beef than you are in my bear hmm. bear meat. That
1: bear you got in Alaska this year. We were there. We got a bear week before you. Yep, we got two bears, and neither of them had any fat on them. Mm. I mean, those bears, I think if they would have stayed in their holes for a couple more days, they probably wouldn't have made it. <laughs> but <laughs> you have a favorite? <laughs> yeah, I mean, these were the scrawniest, skinny, no-fat uh, bears. Huh. Uh, they were low-fat. Low fat. <laughs> they're, they're, yeah. they're probably better for you mm-hmm. than that greasy one that you got. But yeah, I've always thought that bear is, is not greasy. I don't know where that come from.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I mean, it, it, it,
0: there's there's good reason to say that because they do in the fall can have a huge amount of fat on them. But but it's not in the meat. It's not marbled like beef. Yeah. And if it was, it would be even better than it is. I mean, like marbling and beef is what. Yeah, is what it's the you desired to, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and wild game just doesn't marble quite like that. But uh but yeah. They got a handle
2: on like those uh Kobe cows where they go out and uh, you know massage them and play music. That's
1: a that high quality bear. That's what we call our black squirrels.
0: Oh <laughs>
1: yeah. El, El primo. They're the angus of the squirrel world, you know. I wonder angus if squirrel. I should
0: leave some like classic uh, music playing at my bear baits. Oh man! You think it would make him? Them- You'd get primo marbley. <laughs> <laughs> <You think so? laughs> well, um, Joe. Well, before we before we get into Joe, before Joe takes over the
1: podcast, I'm sorry. Oh uh, no, no, this is good. This is good.
0: Um, Ben, you have a uh, Ben has a dad class,
1: and I heard about it on a previous show. Awesome. I think it's pretty good. Tell us what, what's what's okay. the dad class,
0: man. Okay,
4: this is this is like my magnum opus. I mean, <laughs> your life's work. I mean, it really is. So, for some context, I'm a influencer in like the fatherhood space, and I've had the privilege to work with a lot of men, do a lot of teaching, mentoring inside men's ministry and other contexts. And in January, um, I went on like a pilgrimage, basically, to answer two questions: what specifically makes a great father? And how do I become one?
1: Hmm. And
4: through that, and I, I talked, I've I have surveyed data and talked to people, probably like 130 dads. And um through that developed a something called the framework for fatherhood. And it's like a document that just captures succinctly what makes a good dad. And it's a tool that you can think about your strengths as a man and a tool that you can think about areas to improve. And from that I developed like a curriculum. It's an online course, it's self-paced and um
0: and this is what you guys do with your business yeah, so, is you is you make online courses for, for child birthing yeah. and for families and so this exactly. fits right in this lineage of what you are exactly.
4: doing. Exactly. Like we hope someday that it's a, a, a le- an online learning hub for learning how to build an awesome family. And um, so the dad class, that's what it's called. And you can read about it at dadclass.net. Pretty simple. Oh, wow. That's
0: Dadclass.net. <laughs> Surpri- I'm surprised Elon Musk didn't know that.
4: <laughs> yeah, well, he's making a bid. We'll he owns the dot com version. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's actually true. That's actually true. I can't afford that. <laughs> so it's a self-paced program that you can go through. But we have, I know guys they are going through it together like as friends. You could go through it as a men's group at your church or something. And it's not necessarily Christian-based, but there is a, a really in-depth Bible study companion that goes along with it. If you wanted that. Optional, but if you didn't, yeah, you didn't have to have You don't that. have to. Um, but anyway, there's four modules. The first one is about manhood. And uh, Joe and I were talking about earlier about a simple question, like what really makes a man and, and diving into that. And so in that module, we look at that question and, and we look at the influences your father had on you. You look at all the things that influence you as a man. We talk about marriage in that module. The second module, we dive into the framework for fatherhood. And that's broken into fatherhoods and four big overarching skills or competencies. Leadership, relationships, shepherding, and legacy. And that module is awesome. Mm. It is awesome. It's been life-changing for me to develop. And it's been life-changing for guys um, that are going through it. And then the third module is called Fathering Over Time. And it's where I take a lot of my knowledge of childhood development from my early education days. I used to work in public schools. And so we look at the stages of child development and talk about how fathering shifts and changes as your kids age, all the way up into young adult. Mm. And then the fourth module is something called Brand New Dad Boot Camp. So the whole course any dad of any age. There's 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 a one guy in the taking the course. He's a grandfather. So guys of any right. age can take it, but that's a special module for brand new dads. It's like a crash course, a survival guide. <laughs> if yeah. you are a new dad and you know nothing, and um and I'm really excited. So we just launched it a couple weeks ago, and you can learn about it. So people
0: are already taking the class yeah. and stuff.
4: Yeah, all over the nation, and and it's mostly guys that have taken my wife's my wife and I's childbirth class and stuff but that that's one of the biggest requests that I've got. It was, it was, it was, Hey, I really want to be the best dad I can be. Do you have any resources from me? I get that question all the time. And then number Mm -hmm. two, where can I find support? So actually, if you, when you buy the class, you get on this online private group that I moderate and you can get on there and ask questions in the future. We hope to have like special
0: live sessions and stuff like that. That's cool, man. I just, just this week I sent Ben a screen clip from a private message somebody had sent to me, a Bear Grease Render Listener, who who said, "Clay, I wish I wish you had more stuff about your family and how you raise your family." And and he he was very he was a young father interested in fatherhood. And I I I clipped it and sent it to you. Yeah. And um that's that's what we're looking for. People are interested in it. That's the yeah, point. I'm That's interested. Point. Yeah, you know. Uh, Joe, you said on your podcast, you ask everybody. One of the questions is, what does it
1: mean to be a man? Well, we've asked a hundred men what it mm. means to be a man. And and traditionally, you have about four responses. One is, is do what you say. And it's hard work. And uh, it's being a member of the community. And a lot of times, friendship, you know. Ha- being a good friend, being a good father, all of that comes in. We also ask the question, did your dad ever tell you he loved you? And for people, I'm about 50 years old, you know, and for people my age and older, the answer is almost always no. Really? Almost always no. Man, that is shocking. But for 50 years and younger, the answer is almost always yes. And there's so there was something that happened, maybe in the 80s, I don't know, that changed this. Now, unless that guy that we asked the question to went through some major physical or mental abuse, the response is he didn't have to tell me; I knew. And and so, that's across the board. You'll you'll hear that. The reason why I'm interested in your class is I have a a 17-year-old daughter and an 8-year-old son. Mm -hmm. We kind of gap them apart a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) There should be another one on the way with this math, Joe. Trust me, the doctor said that can't happen. I believe in miracles, The deal is—I do. I believe in miracles. (laughs) But the deal is to me is I had a phenomenal relationship with my daughter until she was probably 12 and a half going on 13 this little girl caught every perch with me we deer hunted she cleaned deer with me she was my shotgun rider we ate donuts every time we could eat donuts we hit the park and then the dear lord decided he was going to turn her into a woman and things kind of changed (laughs) and uh it it's been a struggle now My goal right now is I'm playing kind of like Batman. I live in a cave, and if she ever needs me, she can shine that light, and I'll come running and fix whatever it is that needs to be fixed. But I'm playing a game right now where space keeps her from hating me, you know? I mean, you want to talk about getting your heart broken, and I guarantee you're going to have a ton of your listeners say that that teenage year is evil. I mean it, it changes. And I was that. be tough. I yep. was that kid. I remember getting angry whenever I was a teenager. I, I, I mean, we're not in rut. We're, well, maybe we were, but <laughs> we were. We're at that point to where you know we're trying to prove who we are, and we're a man. We can handle it. Or, or you're a, a a girl and and a woman. Um, it's a tough, tough time, brother. And I'm sure you'll have a lot of men if they open up to you. They'll tell you that. A little girl can break a, a tough guy's heart pretty dang easy. Um, and it sucks. It's a bad, bad deal. Um, but being older, I've watched men go through this, and I know what the end game is. Those little girls are going to come back, and they're going to find out that dad was just trying to protect them. Mm-hmm. You know? what, what do you say you on know, that?
0: When, when you brought up the deal about, older the older generation not telling their kids they loved them and then now it would be unusual for any any group of people probably to not tell their kids they loved them and my question was do you think that the kids that are being told they they're loved really feel loved you know and and i i I don't know the answer it's not really a trick question but the idea is that if you say something well because you said that a lot of the guys that dad never told them they loved them, they, they, they knew, knew they knew they were loved because of the action. And now there's probably just as many guys that would say, man, my dad was a warlord, you know, and like at some level he loved me, but he was kind of a, Yeah, you know, I mean, there, there's probably different versions of it. I think
1: but that that's the part that made us know that they loved us is because they gave us rules and restrictions and guidance that, if if they didn't love us, why would they tell us that? And so, yeah, you know, yeah. for a dad to to enforce that, and no, all of a sudden you're wrong. Well, that it's, it's like what you. is
0: love? Is is love letting your kid do whatever they want all the time and giving them everything they want, or is love, you know, disciplining them in the right time and giving them correction and putting boundaries on their life and not letting them do this and that?
1: It's the highlight of our life to have our children. It's a it's our legacy. Is what we leave behind in them. Clay's deal, taking bear out and dropping them off in the woods, and letting them kill a bear. I couldn't get away with that deal at my house, right? But Why would not? I? Well, I will whoop me. <laughs> 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 but would I want to? <clears throat> Absolutely. What Clay has shared with the listeners about how he's raising his family is very, very interesting to me. But I'm I'm old school. And so to a lot of people, you know, they don't want our kids playing out. I live in the country. They don't want our kids playing out there because the boogeyman's going to come kidnap them. There ain't no saber-toothed tiger that's going to take my kid. I'm that kid who would walk just like Brett Reeves. You know, he talked mm-hmm. on his show, this current one, to where he would walk on forever. And we knew what time dinner was. We had to get home to it. We'd leave with a pocket full of bullets or a couple hooks, mm-hmm. and nothing bad. You know what happened? Everything was good. Even the bad times were good. And uh, and I kind of feel like we're missing a huge opportunity to our kids by not doing what you're doing, Clay. That's, in my opinion— that's often wrong yeah <laughs> <You're>
0: <laughs> well you know the other thing that you wouldn't you wouldn't see about the freedom that i do give my kids or it's just not as it's it's not something we just talk about all the time is i've placed a lot of really strong boundaries on their life too the reason i can trust bear newcomb to go in the woods for three days by himself while he's 15 with a bow and and all this and just trust him to be competent enough is that his whole life i have been i there. have I've been there, number one, but I've but I have tested him. I mean, I've been I've been like, okay, here's the rules. The the playing field is really huge, but don't go outside the boundaries. And I and I'm not contradicting like letting free range kids. I mean, my kids have kind of been free range, but inside of a a controlled environment and he's proven to obey the rules and do what's right, make sound judgment and you know,
1: I had a go-kart one time for 15 minutes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's the
1: beginning of a good story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, beginning I, of a good story. <laughs> I, I watched my dad in the summer sun put together this go-kart, and I believe it had a Husqvarna chainsaw motor, uh-huh. right? And he worked hard wrenching and bleeding and stuff, putting this deal together. And he said, son, this is your go-kart. Don't touch the highway with it. And I got on the go kart and I drove all the way down the road and I turned around, but the outside tires touched this thing that he considered the highway. Mm. I come back, he said, What'd you think? I said, That's awesome. You know, that's a cool deal. Get off. And he took it all apart and I never seen it again. Wow, because you broke the rules. I broke the rules. Wow. I'd say that's a good dad and forcing right there. some boundaries. I mean, so, and you know, that was at a young age, that's nine, 10 years old. And I understood at that point, what the man said was what the man meant. And if I broke it, I paid the consequences. You know, the, the, the,
0: the, if dad, if Gary Newcomb were here, the believer himself, I'd tell this story. The most intense moments of my life would be when I was, let's say I was eight or nine years old driving the truck on dirt roads he'd let us drive. Yeah. He was very serious. Dad, I don't know why but maybe he had kids his, his, his when he he was in school that got killed in car wrecks and he was very concerned about us being good drivers and safe drivers. I mean like he coached us about that so much. So he let us drive on dirt roads. And he'd be in the passenger seat and we'd be controlling the truck. You know, at some point after proving competency and he would say we would be deer hunting, looking for deer sign. he'd see a deer track on the road or something, and would be in, but he'd say, "Stop." And I remember just kind of like coming to a long stop. That's when the and, state
1: troopers get mad at you. Right, yeah, <laughs> it was that, And he would be like,
0: "I said, "Stop the car." When I say "Stop," I mean stop." When I say "turn, I mean turn." And And I mean, we learned real quick, you did exactly what he said, even if you didn't understand it. If he said, "Stop?" You stopped, except wheels didn't squeak on dirt roads.
1: So, for the dad <laughs> expert, <laughs> I think that's where I've dropped the ball. I think that just like training, it's bad comparison, but just like training a dog, <laughs> you, you give them an inch, they, they're going to take a mile, right? And I have never been real good at drawing that line. Is drawing that line important in your class? Absolutely. And first
4: of all, I I wouldn't say I'm the expert. I'd just say I'm a learner and there's no perfect dads, you know?
0: Actually, come on, Ben. We know you're perfect. (laughs)
4: What makes a great dad is somebody who's able to learn and reflect and make changes, even small changes. I think that's what makes a good dad become a great dad because the world's full of good dads. I mean, honestly, I think 90% of guys are good dads and love their kids doing their best. But when you think about sitting down, reflecting, and making a practical change in your life. That's hard. It's hard work. And that's what this course we try to do. But we absolutely talk about boundaries. And we talk about finding balance. So like some guys, they might struggle with being way too harsh, way mm-hmm. too strict. They just they can't build relationship for nothing. And that's going to bite you in the end. And then you got other guys that, that struggle to f- set those boundaries and be consistent. So being a great dad's being aware, okay, what's my natural tendency and trying yeah. to identify how to practically change that. Um, that's what I'd say to that. We've all got having to,
0: that awareness of yeah. yourself. Yep. And and yeah, all of us have a tendency to either be too loose or too strong. Yep. You go to one one side or the other and just being aware and knowing that probably somewhere in the middle and is... I'm
1: having you on our show.
0: Okay. I would love to. <laughs> I'd <I'm laughs> love to man.
1: Because I It'd think be good. I think you'd be perfect on our show because our show is dominated by men listeners and and majority of them being a father and and it will play right in with what our goal is. One, you're a younger guy and one of the values that we've tried to put on our show this season is to prove to the public that the younger generation is absolutely as strong as the older generation
0: mm-hmm. y'all
1: just do stuff a little different and uh because that's hey tell them the name of your podcast oh uh, cooking up a story with aaron and joe's Love we it. we drop a new one every thursday on, on all the all the things you can listen to them on and and we're a lot different than clay show we're very open to listening to all kinds of things <laughs> but if you're a truck driver and you need three hours down the highway tune in bull, go, because go. it's a three-hour show but man you fit in perfect to that and and it's 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 a characteristic because i work in construction industry and so i depend on young men to build america right and one of the things that we deal with is that older guys say young guys don't know how to work. Um, here's what I know. I know young guys, we've got to depend on them because they're going to fight for our freedom in this country and, and and protect anybody that needs protecting. So we better respect them enough and treat them solid. But your dad and your grandpa and everybody, it's it's built into us to think that the next generation has done lost it.
2: Right. You know? every, does Ed, not every generation feel that every way? generation yeah, absolutely.
1: and so when you hear it you just got to understood understand that we heard it
4: yep and yep. they
1: heard it and so it's yeah. just one of those deals and and technology plays a lot into it because y'all can do stuff faster than we could i'm pretty good at that google but <laughs> <laughs> we we think that because we don't see you breaking your back that you ain't doing nothing and so they call it lazy. You've heard it, right? And it's not the truth. It really ain't, Clay. It's just one of those deals to where we need a better bridge between the younger generation. And until we get it, we're going to be like every other generation. You mm-hmm. know? So, mm-hmm. yeah, you're coming on. Let's do it. Plan yeah. on it. Let's do it. Yeah, man. I'll be listening in. So we yeah. got a couple to listen to.
0: Yeah, I do. I every shoot, man. Joe really does have a really interesting podcast. They do a good job. I can't
1: wait to hear it. Yeah. Oh, they do
0: a
4: good last job. Last thing with the coupon: Bear Grease twenty five, twenty five percent off. Bear Grease got a Woo! wow, twenty five percent off the Bear Dad grease. What if I on. gave you a
1: free squirrel? Is that worth another? 25? Oh, you'd be in. You'd <laughs> yeah. be in. This you you landed in a good place here. man <laughs> Dad
4: class. Dad
0: class. <laughs> class. Right on. That's awesome. Montana Knife Company was founded by Josh Smith, one of the world's most experienced master bladesmiths. He's been making knives for 30 years. Made in the USA and manufactured locally in Montana. The knives come with a multi-generational warranty and free sharpening. Designed. Tested and built by hunters, MKC is a hunting knife company first and foremost. They have the sharpest knives out of the box and the easiest knives to sharpen. And that is the dadgum truth. You better be careful with them when you get them. They are sharp. MKC is a fast-growing company. They just hired their 55th employee and are looking to hire about 50 more in the next year or so. I've carried a lot of these Montana knives And the one that I like the most is their Speed Goat, which is a lightweight hunting knife, just the right size. MKC knives sell out within minutes of being released. So head over to MontanaKnifeCompany.com. They have new knives for sale every Thursday at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. So check their website and sign up for their text and email alerts. That is the best way to find out when they have knives available. Use code BEARGREASE10 for 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people. The old-timers say that the turkeys start gobbling when the leaves are as big as squirrel's ears and the red buds start popping, and we're about there, and we are there in the South. The Onyx Hunt app is one of my most valuable tools in the spring woods. With tools like coniferous versus deciduous tree distribution layer, you can save time by locating edges or transition areas of mixing habitats from home. Find an area like this with water in close proximity, and more than likely, there will be a goblin turkey nearby. Knowing the exact boundaries of private ground ensures I stay on the right side of the fence but can easily find public ground to go see if I can't strike a gobbler. If you do get one to sound off, using compass mode and waypoints will help you pinpoint his exact location, allowing you to move in and make the perfect setup to bring him right into your lap. Download the Onyx Hunt app today. You'll be glad you did. OnX has a special offer for you. Use code BEARGREASE to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this spring we've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go but here's one product that stood the test of time seafoam motor treatment lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer it's really simple you pour it in your gas tank seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems i'm talking common stuff like hard starts rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who's used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. People everywhere rely on Seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store. Or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Clay,
2: I see a little something over there. Uh, that's a
0: that's a sharp looking thing with your signature on it. What you got oh, there? Oh, this is uh. Did you hear us talking about yeah. this on the last? I heard. Time? It, yeah, I heard. But excited. okay, I, get to I have to see it with so my So this eyes. is this is the this is the Acorn Grunt call, and they uh, I'm, it's uh, uh, it's made by Phelps. Phelps is a It's a meat eater company, Jason Phelps. Me and Jason Phelps work for the same people. We're coworkers. And we were in Mexico talking about deer calls. And I said, man, I want a deer call. That's an inhale, exhale, grunt, bleat deer call. And I'm telling the call master this, and I don't think much about it, but I tell him some specifics that I wanted about it. And he's like, okay, okay. And then he makes this call and turns out it's, there's nothing like it. There's not another inhale exhale grunt call on the market. I didn't realize that he had to overcome some real uh engineering challenges to make the a call that would do that. I th- I thought I was asking him to do something that I just hadn't found yet, yeah. you know, in a call. But now nah, these what I forgot to mention on the last couple of podcasts is that these are going to be for sale sometime around the 1st of September. Okay. So, uh, close to when this podcast comes out, but uh yeah, it, for real. It's it's not it's not a gimmick. This is like a legit really good call. Is it that's say acorn on
4: it? Acorn, yeah. yes. It's the acorn grunter. That's
0: <laughs> it. It's the acorn grunter because as as y'all know, uh when when acorns fall in the early part of the season, that's when you can kill deer. So, the acorn the acorn is the chicken nugget of the eastern deciduous forest. It's the pinnacle pinnacle of the deer hunter, bear, squirrel hunter's year. And it's the acorn grunter. It's the deer hunter's call. It's uh when you see the acorns fall, that's when you need to be blowing that call. Either way, suck or blow. That's, that's amazing. That's pretty. Too. That is amazing. Now, why it's made you, of white oak.
4: Why were you intent on having inhale, exhale?
0: Just so you didn't have to carry two calls. You, you typically had a grunt call and a bleat call that you had to carry. And, uh, and in the early season, the re- you, you wouldn't want to do a buck. Gr- if you saw some does that you were interested in shooting, a buck grunt is not necessarily gonna get them to come into you. A doe bleat would, so you need the doe bleat. A lot of guys use the cans, Love which the are can. really good. Yeah, 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 yeah that yeah. Primos can. That that call kind of revolutionized the deer call world with its simplicity. But this call makes a more, in my opinion, a more robust, louder or soft you have more control with this than that can. And um and, and it's and you don't have to keep up with a
1: can, you know. Um, I'd
4: never use anything but the can. I didn't even think about it. Yeah, that's... You
1: can... <laughs> I
0: mean, always thought awesome.
1: like a soup can with dried corn in it. Just shake it around <laughs> like a deer
0: feeder going yeah. off?
1: <laughs> yeah, I just think, man, if I had a soup can with some dried corn, I'd just rattle this old deal and the deer would come a-run pat- it. Pat- works <laughs> in
0: Texas. Yeah, I think you could,
1: Texas. You could put your name on that and probably sell a whole heap of them too. Limited <laughs> edition.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, squirrel cook-off. Man. September 23rd.
1: September 23rd in Springdale, Arkansas. I saw
2: that. You you moved locations. Oh, okay. that's well, awesome.
1: Yeah. It's in my neighborhood. Yeah. So, you know, Arkansas Game and Fish put a pile of money into putting that place in Springdale. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful facility, and they're just not getting the traffic they need. And so they needed a, a circus act like myself to come out to that deal and, <laughs> and show people where it's at. And so on September 23rd, starting about nine o'clock in the morning, uh, the teams will be doing what they do. And let me tell you, we've got 40 well-qualified teams. Based off of the last time I was on Bear Grease, we brought in a lot of people that had never even heard of the squirrel. Cooking. Really? Good. Yeah, we've got a fellow coming from Kentucky that's, He claims he's number one fan of yours. Okay. He's bringing his Kentucky squirrels down. Okay. Maybe in like an oak barrel or something. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he's... Marinated. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah, He's going to bring his Kentucky squirrels in. We've got a team signed up from Massachusetts. Uh, We've got a team coming from Washington State. So when we claim we're a world championship... If those people in France or China or whatever want to come over and partake, they're more than welcome to. But we're going to crown the next world championship or champion on September 23rd. and This is big. It's going to be big. We're doing squirrel cleaning competition. We're doing... Uh, hey, can... In the squirrel... I've been meaning to ask you this. Can you bring your own implements for skinning? Yeah, you can. What was the crazy thing that you did? S- snippers. Oh, yeah. Snippers are good. Snippers are good. Now, but the problem is, Clay, is these squirrels have been in the freezer for a month and a half. You don't See, think that matters? Not in the least bit. Well, I, I will, <laughs> I don't, I
0: don't want to make any big claims, but I can skin a squirrel fast. I know you can. I know you can. But and, and the reason I know that it doesn't matter if they're frozen is a lot of times in the winter. Come in late. Come in late, and that squirrel's been—you know—it's it, probably forty degrees outside, so it's not. You're not worried about the squirrel, and he's been in your pouch since nine o'clock that morning. You skin him at six o'clock in the evening, and he's hard as a rock.
1: It's. Are you now? You're not playing that game on a fox squirrel.
0: Oh, you can do it just the same. I'm not saying it's e- it's easier with a warm one, yeah. no doubt. No, a warm
1: one. I mean, you can just you can get you can clean him quick. We, Clifton Jackson who works for Arkansas Game and Fish. He has the Jackson Squirrel Rifle. It's named after him. Uh, He's the reigning champion. How fast does he do it? Fast. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, the reason why we don't have a stopwatch what we it's, it's you against somebody else. Oh, really? You lose, you're gone.
0: Hey, man, you ought to start doing the Time stopwatch. So that actually awesome. have a, do you think a Guinness record? would
1: put us inside of a book? Yeah, they'll
0: do, they, they got to record your own everything do. under the sun. Why not? <laughs> and you'll have your well, own book, you but, own but book then you there. could yeah. compare, you could, you could actually crown a world champion. Like a like a world record squirrel. Yeah, give skin. a goal for somebody. Yeah. I mean, change. and and it would it, it, they would need to be squirrels of similar size and 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 temperature. I'm thinking you could absolutely get Guinness out there. Now, what, here's what's going to happen though, and I'll go ahead and cut the mule off at the gate. Is that when I bring my clippers up there and beat everybody, they're going to be like, "Oh, he was using clippers."
1: You so know, you you got to say it's it's fully legal right now on the Bear Greets podcast. Okay, uh, you know one of the most successful podcasts you can listen to. So. I mean, if I was going to get it out, here's the joint to do it. You can use your clippers if you want to use your okay. clippers. Okay. That being said, this ain't no walk in the park, Clay Newcomb. This is a bona fide. I mean, it's, have you ever been to a drag race? It's the yeah. same thing with a squirrel. Okay. 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 Not only do we have that, we have the world's, it's always been the world's hottest wing-eating competition, squirrel-wing-eating mm. competition. Mm. We're going to up that this year. And we're going whole squirrel. What do you mean? You got to eat the whole squirrel? We're going to do a single whole-fried squirrel with lava poured all over the top <laughs> of it.: I love it. And whoever can eat it, and I don't need anybody choking or doing anything stupid like that, but we're going to take away points if you let a little bit of protein on the bone, you know. So we're going to have that event. We also were debuting a, a whitetail uh, movie. At the game and fish. Oh
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That a bunch of people have spoken in. Yeah. Um, we're having a youth uh, BB gun competition in the morning where they'll be shooting at squirrel targets. There's all kinds of stuff to do. The only thing I'll say is our parking is really lacking, so you you may have to find a place and skip down the road a little bit. But it's uh, kind of it's
2: kind of out there. It's kind of in an unusual spot. It's in an uh, unusual it's not, spot.
1: It's not, hard to get to i mean it's Not like
2: off the interstate on right. the 40th but yeah. Uh, yeah it's a
1: the goal the goal behind it this year is to really promote that facility and show people because it's an upland facility they're and trying to put one. habitat it's cool. in it's really cool. build back the prairie get the quail population going and and you know that's how nature is is if you try to rebuild that upland bird everything else is going to be more successful along the way um Game of fish well, has been spectacular. They, well,
0: Brent, so Brent Reeves is going to be a a, a judge. I sure hope he's
1: been training. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Brent trains year round. Do you, think, do you think he'll pull out that case pocket knife and try to yeah, saw yeah, through yeah, some yeah. stuff? Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: So, so Brent's going to be there, and and I'm going to be there. Are I mean, you? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like making, I'm not like doing anything. Yeah, but I will. <clears throat> I'm planning to be there, Joe. Okay. Well. We
1: expect you to be there. Yes. I want to be there. I want you to be there too. Yeah. I mean, your little documentary you made was it thousand dollar squirrel or hundred dollar squirrel. Hundred dollar squirrel. Y'all seen it? I have none. He pulled a documentary when they were out on them mules riding around. And what was the premise of that deal?
0: Well, we were eat- we killed two squirrels in the morning of hunting and my buddy said. That's a hundred dollar squirrel. It cost us two hundred dollars <laughs> to drive out here and uh,
1: shot, you know, shot two boxes of shells and killed two squirrels. And that's kind of the moral of the whole squirrel cook-off is you're taking these squirrels that are the smallest a game, and you're turning them into a premium meal. And so if you can do it with squirrel, you can thanks sure do it with a bear. There ain't no doubt you can do it with an elk. And yeah, and just enjoy enjoy the gifts that we have. So. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing everybody. I love it. Oh, it's gonna, it's There'll be, be some a ton fathers out there too. I'm,
4: I'm gonna be there. <laughs> that's that's in my neighborhood too. I'll be there. That's a lot of fun. That
2: facility hosts so much like educational stuff to the to the public. My wife is going there tomorrow. They're hosting a charcuterie board building class. My wife's gonna learn how of to do like no carpentry way. stuff. Like it's it's amazing. You could find fishing stuff. The Arkansas Game and Fish has done a really great job. I of.
1: think most game and fish organizations are suffering. On trying to get people back in to hunting and fishing and so they got to they got to depend on photography and they've got to depend on the culinary side because if you can get someone through their stomach you can dang sure that's a pretty quick trip right to their brain right and teach them the value of what hey do. I
0: got I got a if we're talking about game fish Austin Booth the new director of the game of fish he's been there for about two years now I mean, I didn't know the guy before he became the director. After the after he became a director, is when I met him. It's not like we're longtime friends, but he, man, he's he's a heck of a guy. Well, it takes, he he's a heck of a leader. It takes youth, right? He he, man, his uh, his leadership skills with the department. I mean, he's grabbed that thing by the horns, the Arkansas Game and Fish, and is has doing some incredible stuff.
1: They own I mean, they've got a big piece of property they got to worry about which is the whole state, Mm -hmm. and in that, there's a whole bunch of smiles that can be developed in this state if people just go out and take some of this free entertainment, and uh, it's available in every state. I mean, you're going up to Alaska here before too long. If you were ever bored in Alaska, there ain't no hope for you.
3: Yeah,
1: There just ain't no hope for you, man. Except the wintertime when it doesn't get daylight. That's the only
0: time. Even get the Northern the, Lights. They yeah. All sorts of stuff, man. <laughs> there, there's things to do. <laughs> mm. So, the Bear Grease Render. On the Bear Grease That render, was the introduction we to talk, the Render? <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the Bear Grease Render. Now we're going to talk about last week's episode, the Mississippi. This is the fourth episode in the Mississippi mm-hmm. series. I Man, I had some people that were like... Man, I wish you'd do five, four more. I want
2: to hear about the coastal erosion and the nitrogen bloom. I yeah. want, you said, you skipped right over it. Just said, it. I'm not going to well, do it, but I was hoping. Th- there's you...
0: there's so much. And then I was talking to my dad, Gary Believer Newcomb, my biggest fan. And he's like, Clay, I'm tired of the Mississippi River stuff, man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, no, it's he, been really he good. He was
0: like, ah, he said it's interesting, but
2: ah, you know. I like that about bear grease. I mean, like, I'm probably like a part of the atypical crowd for bear grease, but I've, I found this series fascinating. Really? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think you really brought, like, to the forefront of my understanding why the Mississippi River is important, how it impacts, like, the country as a whole. Like, Mm. I really, I
0: have enjoyed every episode. What would you have known about the river before this?
2: I knew it was, well, you know, it's funny I was about to say, I knew it was the longest river in America, but actually that's the Missouri River. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't know much, I guess. I mean, I know I drove over it and it doesn't look very pretty, but that was one of the things that I really loved about the series, and specifically this episode, was talking about the health of the river. Because yeah, I do, you do have this impression when you drive over it. Like, the areas I drive over would be near Memphis, right? It's a, I mean, everywhere around it, it just kind of looks muddy, and the banks don't look that great, and it just kind well, of, you get a bad impression. And, and
0: see, that is, when you talk about natural systems, and you talk about beauty, if, if an alien came from another planet, and stepped in. They to, always
1: go to the desert. They, yeah. 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 <laughs> Good point, Joe.
3: Yeah, Like that's what, what,
0: what would they perceive as beauty? Like what, what would, you know, would they look yeah. at the Rocky mountains and say, that's beautiful? Or would they look at this muddy, dark river system and say it was beautiful to me, a natural system that is functioning like it was before humans got too involved is beautiful. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, like when you cross over the Mississippi River on a bridge and look and see this big flat water that looks like it's still, but it's actually screaming down towards the Gulf of Mexico, that is equivalent in terms of natural systems that impact the landscape to an Appalachian mountain range, a Rocky Mountain range, the Ozarks, even on a smaller scale. I mean, it, yeah. and, and just to appreciate it is like that is a dynamic, wild, Ancient, hard to control, dominating piece of a geologic feature of the earth that's that is like will be here longer than we will be here. When we're long gone, that river will be here. I'm like,
1: I'm like you, man. When he talked about the health of the river, yeah, I think we get so shocked because when we open up our game and fish book and it talks about, well, you should probably only eat fish like twice a month or whatever, lead, mercury, all of this, right. And and we think about the runoff that's going inside of it. For him to state that the nitrogen and the things that were actually, were not bad for that part of the river. They were bad for the ocean, right? For the Gulf. Yeah. Um, to hear the fishing stories, to understand that a, a, a flathead isn't as is yeah, valuable. that shocked yeah, me. Yeah,
4: that was cool. <laughs> yeah. As yeah. a blue
1: cat. Um, I think a lot of our listeners who aren't from someplace that borders the river would find that eating buffalo if they even know what a buffalo is buffalo ribs are real good and it's kind of just like a southern delicacy mm-hmm. um they all they're kind of like a drum you know yeah. a buffalo is, is it's a big, big scaly rough fish it, that, yeah a i drum. mean you wouldn't think people would be eating but they're they're good it was it was an excellent series i learned a lot about the river the 200 feet of topsoil
4: yeah that was incredible because
1: how incredible. much topsoil do we have here inch
0: <laughs>
4: in Yeah, <the> ozarks yeah <laughs>
0: pretty yeah. rough yeah you know the top that's a good place to insert a a addendum when you talk about i i kind of gave some if you actually listen to what exactly i said about topsoil it would be a little bit contradictory because top people use topsoil in different ways a soil scientist would n- would not say that the topsoil layer of the alluvial floodplain of the Mississippi was 200 feet deep
1: because it's not on the top.
0: Right? Well, no, because the 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 topsoil uh, technically would just be like the 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 surface that was impacted by organic matter, and probably some of the deepest topsoils in the world are like 40 to 50 feet deep, but. The alluvial deposit made by the river over the last gazillion years, in places, is 350 feet deep. Whoa! But it's not all topsoil. It it actually would be a, like if you dug down 150 foot and brought that soil up to the surface, it would be of a different constituency than the soil right on the I top. See. What's
1: yeah. our guy from Mississippi? Hank
0: this? Burdine. He, see, I let him say what he said because I knew what he was thinking. He said the average soil depth, topsoil depth of the Mississippi River Louisville floodplain is like 180 feet deep. If Hank
1: doesn't get like a TV show
0: yeah. to where
1: he can have 30 minutes of conversation across the globe, we're yep. missing out as a, as a world.
0: Ah, uh, yep. Hank, Hank, I love Hank Burden. He's he he's everything that you feel like he
1: is. I watched him on a YouTube video singing a song about a hot tamale. Have you seen it? <laughs>
3: no. Doesn't
0: oh, surprise man. me
1: at all. It oh, yeah. was a variety show. <laughs> <laughs> right it was and I thought, you know, Hank needs a whole album. Yeah. You know who else was share
4: that?
2: You know who else was really I mean quite capturing was Mr. Bill. I mean Yeah, Bill Lancaster I, next time Meat Eater does another Campfire stories, you guys need to include his his story about getting tossed
0: out of his boat. I mean mm-hmm. That was was a great story. Man, Bill, Bill Lancaster, this is behind-the-scenes bakery stuff. He, well, let me back up. The hardest part of my job is getting the right people to talk to you. Some of the right people want to talk to you, like Joe Wilson and Hank Burdine. Like, they're ready to talk. Sometimes the right people don't want to talk to you. Bill was he he was i could tell he well i it not that I could tell he told me like he wasn't so sure that he should talk to me um just because it's like bill is he's he, he didn't listen to podcasts, he's
1: been doing all right without you for seventy years <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> you know it's like it's like he's not doing this for show, he's not doing this to show off what he does he he literally fishes almost every day. It has for the last, since 1984, and fished before that a lot from 1969, but professionally for a living, every week of the year since 1984. Is he a one-man show in that yep, boat? He doesn't take anybody with him. Hmm.
1: Yeah. You know, you a know. lot of shrimp people, shrimp boat captains were like that. They were just one guy on a shrimp boat, and you, that's like the life of a boxer you're the one who determines if you're winning or losing.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
1: that's what I got out of him. His work ethic's unbelievable.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and then uh, the two, he had two stories about finding dead bodies in the river. I noticed I that you didn't second. tell the second one. I yeah. mean, it was just, you know. You heard one, you heard them all.
1: How about the comparison <laughs> to Tracy Lawrence? Did you see the picture of him? I, I don't think, I may have. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Does he look like Tracy Lawrence? I, that's what I
0: immediately thought when
1: I like, saw him. Like, is this the youthful tracy lawrence or the chubby the thin, retired, the
0: young ah. a young thin tracy lawrence with a
1: mustache and the in the hair paint me a birmingham a birmingham tracy lawrence or after well i don't know i don't know when he was in birmingham oh the his, his song paint me a birmingham you shoot
0: i don't even remember that one it's this like young, young tracy again?
1: lawrence that's like his
0: best song. it's a compliment to mr bill handsome right handsome fella so mr bill if you're listening
1: that was a you're a handsome man Bill. no
0: no bill bill for real he's, and, and, he, he if, made the if right he's choice, listening he wasn't now sure about this podcast no heck of a
1: father yeah
0: <laughs> no he was one of uh he was so fun to talk to and uh you know somebody that's dedicated that much of their life to anything is going to be good at it you know Which of you listening right now took a class in school about Family Finances 101? No one? Yeah, me neither. Like the importance of a will or college savings plan, or even life insurance or estate planning. We have to know these things. But how do we figure it all out? That's why I'm excited to partner with Fabric by Gerber Life. Life insurance is important to me. It just gives me security in knowing that if anything happened to me, my family would remain financially stable in my absence. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You can be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash bear. That's meatfabriccom slash bear, M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash bear. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states, prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Montana Knife Company was founded by Josh Smith, one of the world's most experienced master bladesmiths. He's been making knives for 30 years, made in the USA, and manufactured locally in Montana. The knives come with a multi-generational warranty and free sharpening. Designed, tested, and built by hunters, MKC is a hunting knife company first and foremost. They have the sharpest knives out of the box and the easiest knives to sharpen. And that is the dadgum truth. You better be careful with them when you get them. They are sharp. MKC is a fast growing company. They just hired their 55th employee and are looking to hire about 50 more in the next year or so. I've carried a lot of these Montana knives And the one that I like the most is their Speed Goat, which is a lightweight hunting knife, just the right size. MKC knives sell out within minutes of being released. So head over to MontanaKnifeCompany.com. They have new knives for sale every Thursday at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. So check their website and sign up for their text and email alerts. That is the best way to find out when they have knives available. Use code BEARGREASE10 for 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people. The old-timers say that the turkeys start gobbling when the leaves are as big as squirrel's ears and the red buds start popping, and we're about there. And we are there in the South. The Onyx Hunt app is one of my most valuable tools in the spring woods. With tools like coniferous versus deciduous tree distribution layer, you can save time by locating edges or transition areas of mixing habitats from home. Find an area like this with water in close proximity, and more than likely, there will be a goblin turkey nearby. Knowing the exact boundaries of private ground ensures I stay on the right side of the fence, but can easily find public ground to go see if I can't strike a gobbler. If you do get one to sound off, using compass mode and waypoints will help you pinpoint his exact location, allowing you to move in and make the perfect setup to bring him right into your lap. Download the Onyx Hunt app today, you'll be glad you did. Onyx has a special offer for you. Use code BEARGREASE to receive 20% off your membership at onyxmaps.com/hunt this spring.
1: You ever fish the river, the Mississippi? I've never have. Never have we fished we fished the Mississippi three or four times. And just like they were talking this for s- what? Catfish? Yeah, things with things with lips. You know? <laughs> um, I can tell you one night we set up trot lines by a coal dock somewhere by Rosedale, Mississippi. Or a grain dock, I guess, you know. And uh there was a light and there was some grain floating on the water and we could see things popping and above Ooh. and I thought, son, this is where we're gonna do it. So we set out a hundred hook line. We went out, fished, come back, pulled this line. We maybe had three or four, three or four hooks without a fish on there, but every hook had a fish. And let me tell you what they were. They were about 16 inch gar.
0: No way. (laughs) Yeah.
1: It was miserable because wow. there was just a garfish on every hook. but we've caught some big fish man 60 70 pound blue cats out of that's here. amazing yeah.
2: man my wife heard that and she was like we have to go we yeah. need to
1: find somebody to take us she, your wife
2: listens to batteries she listens to she, she, listened to, and in she likes to fish and she likes to fish can, she is the should, dr- we should have had her on the podcast so she um so Colby who was supposed to come today he uh mm-hmm. he went noodling and got a a flathead catfish mm-hmm. he gave us some of that. And my wife cooked it up and she was like, I just want access to this. I was like, we can go find some catfish. I like
0: it when a lady gets so dead set on meat that she's,
1: like, ruthless. That's my kind of woman. She's turning. Well, into, she's it, going for it for catfish.
0: I, sometimes I see that in people's eyes. I'm like, this woman would break the law for <laughs> <Yeah>. a catfish. <laughs>
1: yeah.
4: uh, Austin, Rachel my, is not my, like that. <laughs> my wife had never known how to cook venison, and once she started figuring out her own shtick and what she wanted to do, she's like, get your butt in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it just totally changed the whole, you know, yeah. hey, can I go hunting this weekend? It's like... <laughs> Get in the water. Yeah, That's
1: like, my what do you do at home? That's my excuse to get to go to Alaska every year. My wife likes eating that halibut, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so I ain't going to Alaska for myself, boys. Oh,
3: yeah, this, <laughs> you're you're is a, this is a servant leader, leader <laughs> is, right here. This, but, servant this is leader. me <laughs> trying
1: to uh beat this poor economy. You know, yeah, you
4: provide for your family, being yeah, a great dad. Go.
1: Was, yeah, <laughs> gotta go. S- lesson number three,
2: <laughs> Uh Clay. I have a I have like a slightly anecdotal story about experience with the Mississippi. So I. I'm into bicycling, right? And I do Mm -hmm. bicycle touring. And so last year, I actually went on a bicycle tour from Kansas City to St. Louis. And half of that, when I met Boonville, was along the
0: Missouri River. Met Boonville? Boonville, yeah. Where? Missouri. Okay, Boonville, Missouri. And you go from... I bet every state has a Boonville. <laughs> east of the Mississippi and touches the Mississippi River has a Boonville. Yeah. We have a
2: Boonville in Arkansas. That sounds about right. This one has, I mean, it is where the trail that I was riding goes over the Missouri and it is a huge bridge. I mean, it's. but I've run
0: along... A, like a bicycle bridge? It's a, a car it's a, bridge. It's a traffic
1: bridge. But okay. it's yeah, got if a they bicycle start building road. bicycle bridges, I'm moving. No, here's <laughs>
0: the,
2: here is the kind of like roughly uh, related part of my story, which is we did that. It was an amazing... And I have planned – this year I planned – I don't know when I'm going to do it – a biking trip from northwest Arkansas down to Arkansas City, very near Greenville. And Mm. it goes along – Arkansas State is building the Delta Heritage Trail State Park, Mm. which is beautiful. And right along the Mississippi River goes from like West Helena, West Memphis, down to Arkansas City. So it's like 85 miles and there's a section in the middle where the White River, the Arkansas River, all meet the Mississippi River. And there is there is not a bridge for 70 miles. And I was frustrated. I spent days on like GPS apps and maps, just like, how in this modern day of 2023 oh, right. can I not get across this body of water? And I you, you called me. Didn't I called you. I called, you. I called the back. state park and I said, hey. Like I know that the trail's not finished. You got an incomplete section. Like, how can I cross this body of water? Is their plan to there, build the bridge? Yeah, so it's basically built along the the levees, but also along some old railroad trestles. trestles. Yeah, there's a beautiful section that's that's down there near the Trust and Holder wetlands, and that's the section that's incomplete, and it's basic based around this trestle, and uh, so one day I will ride it, but I just could not believe that in the year 2023 i called the state agency and said how can i get across this like
0: 4 mile the gap? same problem that hernando de souza <laughs> exactly and she yeah, told yeah. me
2: she's like you're going to have to go 70 miles around that's the closest bridge
0: and i <laughs> i
2: i said hey do you think that i could like i mean i'm i'm on the other side of the state do you know I see there's hunting clubs. Do you know anybody that I could like ferry oh, me across? Is, this is
0: a soft pitch to all the Bear Goose no, guys. Is there anybody know. down there that would give him a ferry ride across yeah, yeah, this yeah. river on
2: his I, bike? I got, told, I got told that that was a lost cause because uh, apparently the hunting clubs were not a fan of this, of this burgeoning yeah, state I'm park, sure. which they made yeah. the section of your podcast talking about the hunting clubs being this wildlife mecca really interesting because yeah, of the cool kind of conflict of like, well, I th- want access
0: to that. That so area two as well. two points of conflict there. You're there. Well, I don't even want to get into this, but the conflict that you're stepping on that you wouldn't mm-hmm. have even known is that you know public lands there there is conflict around kind of who controls those, and so there there's a oh, it's so big it's such a big topic it's hard to even want to talk about, but hunters are paying users of 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 the land that we hunt cuz we buy licenses that go to do stuff for that land. A bicyclist doesn't do
2: I mean I'll pull out my my game and fish
0: card and you're a hunter though. You're a hunter. You got a fishing pole on your back. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> well, you're you're a hunter but, but 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 as a bicycler like using public land, you don't have to buy a bicycle license. And so th- there's there's this, there's this conflict. The second conflict that we could get into I had somebody reach out to me and say, "Clay, thanks for highlighting in a positive way the land inside the Mississippi levees, because no doubt that is some of the highest priced land on planet Earth." I had no idea.
1: Oh, the, those clubs along the river yeah. I mean, there's hundred thousand dollar memberships.
0: Yeah. Oh, Joe, that's that's outdated. Is a hundred thousand really? Oh, there are clubs <laughs> down there that. First of all, someone has to die yep. and they don't have to have an heir that would inherit the, the the club membership. I personally know clubs that you couldn't buy into for two hundred and fifty grand. No kidding. This I is mean like the Arkansas version of like Yankees like and season so tickets. That that to to a guy that just doesn't in my opinion and now I, I could pitch the other side of this and have a good argument against it. But I just don't see it that way. And I got no stake. I wish like crazy. I got no stake in the inside levees of the Mississippi River anywhere. Like, I'm not a member of a club, don't have any connection to them. But they they would say that is a rich man's thing that is unattainable for the common man to hunt inside the levees.
1: So there, there was a guy that I was working with through the squirrel cook-off 10 years ago. And he reached out to me. He wanted to write a coffee table book based off of all the hunting clubs from about where the start of the levees are down to Baton Rouge.
3: Hmm.
1: And because the history of those structures, you know, these are old plantations, there's uh, presidents and governors, and every banker, you know, has been inside these clubs. And we wanted to do a book, coffee table book, showing the history and Their favorite meal Hmm. at that club, because a hunting club is a place to eat, socialize, and maybe shoot something, you know. And so the history behind those things is is phenomenal. Oh. And it's hidden history. You, Very, it is. I
2: would not have known anything about it. I mean, I, again, I'm kind of the atypical listener, but it would have been completely invisible to me, except I was just trying to say, how do I get from point A to point B? There is not a single road. Well, you're on a
1: bicycle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> bicycles
0: don't do good in the swamp. Bro. Oh, man, <laughs> they sink. You, Listen. you
1: know, that, that rub between bicycles and all kinds of things is happening in our state. And there's actually an initiative in Benton County to where they're branding dirt roads
0: uh, yes. as gravel yes, yes, yes. roads Very that big
1: cannot here. be paved. Hmm. And it's for, a... B- for bicyclers? Yeah, and so it's a unique idea. The idea is is, in order to preserve the farmland and the wildlands in that area, if you don't pave that dirt road, therefore there will not be a subdivision. It stays uh, kind of rural. It stays. Yeah. And yeah. you could imagine who's behind this. Some some big money. Okay. And so this is just in the last month. I actually cooked for, for that group. A, a buddy of mine, Wes Evans, is part of it. He's a, a big time farmer in the county. And it's hard to change that paradigm that we're going to accept bicycles. And so this grassroots effort is there. And now the. Wait farmers, a minute. Now, who wants it to stay rural? The farmers? The bicyclers. Well, and the farmers. You know, most of the farmers could sell their property right now and never have to worry about it again with the price of real estate. They're holding on to the farm because that's their history and their heritage. And so in order to maintain that they can have their animals without some person in an 1,800-square-foot house living next door to them complaining— they're getting with the bicycle groups. Yeah, I say uh, so. so two kind of unlikely yeah, groups pairing up. Yeah, bis- okay.
2: gravel is like kind of the thing right now for for really? bicycling because it's more of an adventure. You get out into more of the rural areas, and honestly, you don't have to it's worry safer. as much about getting killed by a car. Man, I, I it's I didn't mean <sighs> to turn Bicycles this into the scare bi- me all. The time. Uh, I didn't it's mean to turn fun. this into the bicycling podcast, but it, that was my access point to appreciating the area around the Mississippi River. The rural areas, the levees and all the stuff that I would – I'm really excited about visiting the Delta Heritage Trail State Park once it is completed, which I believe is sometime in
0: 2024. Mm. So, I, I – What about the Sultana Museum? Yes. Did, that, you, that did was, I had, talk about yes, that? You did, and that I had heard never worse, heard of that, but that, sure. that sounded awesome. Yeah. Oh, you said That's that is the still there? Field. Yeah, it's out in a private – I mean, it's on private land, you can't go see it, ah. but uh, the Sultana is in somebody's soybean field. How about the
1: tie-in with Holt Collier on your pre- one of my favorite episodes is, or series was Holt Collier. Right. And knowing that his killing of the bear and the deer fed the people that built that levee system.
0: Built the that, railroads and the levee system.
1: And then you got the 1927 flood, which... I was aware of the flood because it even affected us in northwest Arkansas when the White River backed up and and flooded. But that flood being the worst flood killed more people than any flood that we've ever had. And most Americans don't know anything about 1927. I didn't.
2: I I mean, I had heard that there was a
0: flood back in the day and that's about as much as I
2: knew.
1: Hey, let me me do something here.
0: I want to go back. I want to talk about the 2011 flood yeah we're gonna hold the flood stuff i gotta go back to my comments about the mississippi river and i have to finish a thought that's really important i think it's important it's the whole rich guy inside the levee thing and and yeah the the land inside the levees for hunting is not accessible to just average people it's just not and 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 it's not that everybody that hunts there's rich that's not it either it's just
1: they the know people, a rich guy.
0: The, well, it, the, a, a lot of the guys that have memberships in those clubs aren't rich at all, necessarily. They've just had memberships in the clubs when they were not valuable. And that's the point. Hunting, recreational hunting, has made that land extremely valuable. More valuable than the timber. I wish I had made this point more clear. Y'all can tell me if it was clear. Timber companies owned all that land because it was not valuable for farming it was not valuable for houses and living, because it was inside the levees it could flood. So timber companies owned all the land from Baton Rouge up to, you know, where the levees ended around St. Louis or, or, or well, from Memphis, let's just say Memphis to Baton Rouge. Timber companies owned it. Timber companies are going to do whatever it takes to make money. They're going cut to the, cut timber heavily. There came a tipping point when the, the cultural value of recreational hunting became more valuable than the, than, than the timber. And at that point, that's when all that land and there's still some timber company land inside the levees, but not near as much as there was before, like the 1980s.
1: These are all what, that these islands are what? 25,000 square feet. I mean, they're, they're huge, huge,
0: huge. Oh there's, ar-
1: there's hundreds
0: of islands on out there. Too, that are literally islands of the river. But point being, the recreational hunting value of that land became more valued than the timber. It was bought by these private clubs. And in the 1980s, you could have got into an El Primo Mississippi River hunting club for probably pennies on the dollar of what it's worth now. So you didn't have to be a rich guy. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So if my family had been down there within an hour of the river and we'd have been like, heck, we'll just become a member of diamond point and we'd have bought into that today that membership might be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars let me let me say this though but i say to the to somebody that would say that's bad because there's this whole idea of that we're becoming more like europe where it's a pay-to-play game for hunting i would say in this case which with such a specific unique delicate riparian zone of one of the greatest rivers in the world I don't care who's making it healthy.
1: As long as it's healthy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So it's like, bro, I, I salute and love watching Will Primos hunt inside the levees of the Mississippi River and kill giant deer. I love hearing... The stories, and, and, and at different times, I'll probably, I mean, I'm supposed to go hunt inside the levees, as a matter of fact, this, this year. What it's kind of call fun. will
1: you be using? I'll be using <laughs> <that>. play, nuke, Baker <laughs> and crowner. There it <laughs> is. <laughs> but don't you, don't you think that not only that particular area of hunting clubs, like, you know, guys used to be able to scrap together some money and go out and buy a piece of property and, and start a hunting club. I mean, that's so far out of reach. For people these days, working men, you know, mm-hmm. it, common working men, because there's men that work who work hard and make a lot of money. <laughs> but the, the common working like men, these
0: social media influencers. Like I mean, men, you know? say
1: I had a deal that made dads better.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> I was hanging out with a podcaster and stuff, and we decided that we were going to buy us a, a hunting club. And a, a hunting club's got to be four or five hundred acres, or you know. It probably ain't worth it. That's that's a million bucks or better now in Arkansas. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just out of reach unless you have so many members that at that point, the population the, of hunters. That the value would yeah. be
0: less because of so many people. I don't know
1: what
2: public access to hunting inside the levees is like. But that's one of the reasons that I like seeing things like the Delta Heritage Trail State Park, which obviously you can't hunt in the state park. Do you work for them? but You've said that like really, seven times. <laughs> the Arkansas Game and Fish in Springdale, too. <laughs> We're going to hit all of it. No, I, I, like, I like seeing that. I don't know what public access is like. Though
0: There's, that on, along the Mississippi River, there is some public land that touches the river, but not a lot. I mean, it's the, the vast majority of anything from Memphis to Baton Rouge is going to
1: be private land. Have y'all ever just stood there and watched the barges going up the river? I mean, they're pushing 46 barges up a river with one engine. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing. And if you actually think about how many semi-trucks that would have took or rail cars, mm. that river, I think 90% of all of our agriculture comes down that river. Wow. I mean, all of our grains, everything. And the unique thing is, like, was it early this year or last year? when the It was this year when the river was going dry, right? It was making mm. national news all the yeah, time. Yeah, it was low. And we'd watch the news and think, boy, Memphis is getting hammered. That river is going to come up. That water comes from Ohio that fills up Memphis. It has nothing to do with how much rain is coming through Arkansas. Right, right. It's the Ohio Valley is where that water is troughed down. It comes down the, the river and feeds the Gulf, and it's it's our biggest highway. Yeah, yeah. I got a
2: I have a barge story that wasn't on the Mississippi, but I grew up in the Gulf Coast of Florida, and there was an intercoastal waterway yeah. built between the Chocktawhatchee Bay and a bay in Panama City. They would move cargo via barges, um, you know, inland, and so they just dug it out in the middle of nowhere, and so they threw the sand out. You know, Florida's flat but they threw the sand in these great heaps so we would go when i was 14 15 16 camp on the side of what felt like a mountain to a floridian <laughs> right, right? Yeah. it's probably a 30 foot drop down to this
1: to the and it was 30 where... feet above sea level <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's the way to go in florida
2: <laughs> <laughs> i have a distinct memory i went out there with some high school friends and we camped out overnight and we cut down a tree and we with hatchets like you know just t- totally out of our depth but we were having a great time and we uh, each catalog, we're carrying it along the, the bank at probably two in the morning, just having a great time. And a barge is coming. And of course, that wake just is immense, even in this, especially in that small. Um, and so we all started hoofing it and there was a down tree and uh, we were trying to like hoist logs over this tree. And we were, the barge getting closer and we're 16 and we're freaking out. And that barge points that- Are you that, in the water? No, we're on the bank. There's are like- Are there's so like You're going to get- The are totally is going to hit you. Yeah, and it's not going to drag us out, but it's going to get us wet, right? You're 16, gonna, man. Yeah, you know, having a great time. And that barge <laughs> points that million lumen spotlight on us. Oh, and really? And we are in the middle of nowhere. And I have this log on my <laughs> shoulder, and I was kind of a bigger kid, and I'm struggling to get up. And this barge pilot gets on his loudspeaker and goes, Go, go! No, you can do it. You can do it. <laughs> yeah. I got to the top and he went, yeah. It was the best That's thing ever. Awesome. That's my bard story. I that love it. funny
4: wow. stuff. It was,
1: it was an awesome series, Clay. It really was. And, Good. Yeah, four well, was probably the right number. I, I'd love to. Just with Gary, he's like, I'm getting a little tired of the river.
0: No,
4: I like the diversity of topics, too. Coming from a former history teacher, I've always thought about the economics of waterways and that important role it played in our history. But I, I learned a lot thinking about the geography. And it really, it never hit me just how pivotal, how pivotable, <laughs> how pivotal,
0: pivotal. There we go.
4: It is just having it in the middle. Right, yeah. And America is so biodiverse and huge that we just don't think of that river substantially as, say, like Egypt. So in 2008, I went to Egypt and I boated on the Nile River. Mm. Egypt is the Nile River. Nile River is Egypt. Like that is the country. I mean, mm. it's a desert. There would be nothing without that river. I've been far south in Egypt where you can stand on one side of the desert, look over the river valley and see the other desert. I mean, it's just 90% of the people live right there in the in the valley and in the into the delta. Um but in America we we take it for granted. And I think it, I, when I was listening to this, I was like, what would I take away from this if I lived in, like, this other distant part of the country? And I think I would become a lot more interested in the waterways around me. You know, mm-hmm. if you lived in way in Southwest or wherever, it's like our lives are defined by water, not just the economics mm-hmm. that I've always thought about, but our uh, biodiversity and survival. And then and then you think about the planet, like, 80% of it's water. The oceans. I mean, water is everything, and so this series definitely ta- caused me to think a lot bigger yeah. about that for sure.
0: Well, it was it was a gap in my understanding that I felt was uh, a liability, for real. Like two years ago, I was like, I just woke up one day and was like, I got to know more about the Mississippi River. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like I, I'm not I'm incomplete unless I, I know found more it about odd the river. that you weren't a Mark Twain guy. Me too. <laughs> I really, I, never, I really did. My the public schools uh, where I came from never, never had us read them. I never read a single Mark Twain book.
1: I like Mark Twain so much. My son's name is Clem.
0: Uh-huh. Is that right? Wow. Based after go.
1: Samuel Clemens, mm. because. I thought that if I gave him a name such as Clem, he'd have a fighting chance of telling a story when he got a little old.
4: I bet he does. <laughs> I bet he
1: does. So yeah. There you go. Yeah. I like that. Uh the Mark Twain stories about the river, the the country yeah. songs about the river. they so that, that I have
0: I have a whole episode that is that I could do. I could do a fifth one. I'm not going to. Um, about the blues. Oh yeah. I, I felt like when I was Me? scripting out this thing, I thought, I'm going to talk about the blues. And actually, I had a whole section where Hank Burdine talked to me about the blues that I didn't use. You ought to put out a poll. Right? Well, listen, though. The first guy that I started looking for to tell me about the blues, I was driving down the road, and I was looking for a podcast. And, and it was called the Chris Thomas King uh, Blues History. King. No, no, I don't think so. Convenient Chris, last name though. Chris <laughs> Thomas King, he, uh, you guys know the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Yeah. Right? yeah. yeah. Okay, on that movie, there's a boy that plays Tommy Johnson. Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. Okay, Tommy Johnson is the guy that uh, is supposed to have sold his soul yeah. to the devil at the crossroads. And, and when the guys that are, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou guys are driving down the road, they come to a crossroads, they pick up this African American guy who gets in with a guitar, and it's Tommy Jones, Johnson. Johnson. And that guy ends up playing a blues song by the fire on the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? That is Chris Thomas King. Huh. That's and him. he's got a podcast? He has a podcast. I interviewed him. Oh, wow. I did wow. a full interview with Chris Thomas King. Huh. Chris Thomas King came out with a book, and basically he says that the narrative – that the blues started in Mississippi is not true.
1: What? Where? Tell me, it's not St. Louis.
0: No, it started in New Orleans. Oh, that, t- according that, to him. And it's so. Basically, there is. It is so, and he. I want it to be a whole bear grease, but go four five.
1: Go four five. I would enjoy that a lot. <laughs> yeah, I can tell already after this render, Listen. you're gonna go five. The differences uh, I,
0: between jazz just, and blues. I blue, don't I have. To I don't have the bandwidth to like get more. But basically, he says that there, there is a. If you ask anybody in the country where the blues started, they're gonna say, uh, "Clark's," I believe, Clarksdale, Mississippi, yep. is what what they say. And, and just like, that's where it started. He says that Alan Lomax, this, this uh, uh, storyteller from the 1970s and 80s, nationally known, really, really renowned storyteller who told some major stories and made some major documentaries about the Appalachians. He gained national fame and basically went to Mississippi. And he says that Alan Lomax is the one who kind of, Was the guy that said, "Hey, the blues started." Are you doing
1: this for safety reasons? Not throwing this out this fifth episode because safety. Oh, afraid I'll get killed. I mean, (laughs) God, you start saying that the blues ain't from the Delta.
0: Well, now it's from the Delta. Well, that's the new Chris Thomas King just says it, and and he says that that narrative doesn't add up, and he wrote a whole book about it, and has a really strong uh, thesis about how the word blues. Actually came from basically musicians in New Orleans making fun of blue laws, which blue laws would have been like religious laws, like you can't buy alcohol on a Sunday, or you can't your your juke joints can't be open on Sundays, stuff like that. There was a, a a heavy influence in New Orleans, I believe, from the Catholics, and there was it was heavy blue laws, and then the. Th- there there arose this music scene that defied that and it was about kind of rebellion against that then that's why the name they called it the blues because hmm. it was huh. it was it was rebellion against blue laws well and then the blues went up the mississippi river and his whole thing is which which tracks with the the history of the settlement of the delta is that there weren't even african th- there were not Vast numbers of most of the Mississippi Yazoo Delta did not have slaves in it because it wasn't settled till after the Civil War.
1: If did, you, do you make, see what I'm saying, yeah, yeah, like
0: yeah. You, like the place where they say the blues started before the Civil War, because they talk a lot about the blues being gang chain gangs of enslaved people singing, and there's there's the Ganji
1: dancers. He
0: says that that's.
1: He doesn't buy it. If you did part five and you said the blues weren't from that region and you said that the the Delta Tamale is where all tamales come from.
3: <laughs> Canceled. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you My career would be you over. You'd have, you'd have to go on that uh,
0: alternate career these, path that you were these talking about. All people from Mississippi, I've gained their trust yeah. by by doing all this Mississippi stuff, and then at this last you one, stole I mysteriously get drowned in the Mississippi River, and
1: Mr. <laughs> Bill finds me. The third one. Whoa, what a movie. <laughs> what a movie. Phenomenal. What do you got ooh, coming up on Bear Grease? Lord of mercy.
0: I don't know if I should tell. Should I tell the world I mean, what yes we're sure. gonna do? Just yeah. a hint. Well, just us. Nobody. No, 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 no. Yeah, I'll just tell you guys. <laughs> okay. okay? okay. Just don't tell anybody. Don't put it on social That's media. Cool. No, cool. it's actually gonna. It'll be good. I intention. I've had some people. That's a good question, Ben. I've had some people. I've heard to our podcast referred to as regional, which I didn't necessarily like. And regional be in the
1: South. Like, I heard some people be You're like... You're doing a show on the Baltimore Orioles.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> bing, 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 bing. Tune in for Bear Grease. Baltimore Orioles. <laughs> 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 well, I don't, see, I, I don't see Bear Grease as regional. I view Bear Grease as what I'm interested in. Happens to be a lot of what I'm interested <laughs> in is in the it's South. Right. How convenient. We're doing an Alaska Stories series. Nice. Where I have... A very diverse, eclectic group of storytellers that are going to tell harrowing, near death, wild experiences in Alaska. Is this like, I've got nine stories right now. This
2: is like a Campfire Stories part yep. three. Yep. Mm. Oh, yes. Yep. I'm excited. Yeah. About it's,
0: that. it's, so it's each episode is going to have multiple, like full length stories, not interviewed. Like I'm not even on the podcast other than just through. Like I'll introduce, I'll say like, here's this guy, and uh, and he's gonna tell a story. It, there's, there's, oh, I don't even want to tell you what's oh, on there. On. Don't, a lot of bear
3: do
0: <coughs> beard beard stuff.
3: <laughs>
0: bear, <laughs> bear, there's bear stuff. There's uh, near drowning stuff. So that's cool, awesome. man. I'm excited yeah, it'll about be good. That. It'll be good. Yeah, I like the, I like the storytelling. The story. Episodes, yeah, 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 yeah. just just with different people telling their stories, you know.
2: The when I tell people about the campfire stories, the story I tell them about is the guide in Alaska who lost his boat across the bay and tried to go walk and find it, and yeah. then tried to do that terminal burrowing and had to tell himself like, "Stop, you're, you're digging Isn't your grave." Weird. So, I mean, more more Alaska close calls and stories. That it sounds awesome. Yeah,
4: Alaska. The Hollywood of the hunting world. <laughs> <Ooh>. No kidding. <laughs> and you can make a movie anywhere, but the best movies seem to always be in Hollywood. It's like Alaska, man. Unending story plots there.
0: Yeah,
2: it's a wild place. Didn't so, you start this episode talking negatively about Alaska in the wintertime?
0: Well, uh, not negatively. I just said <laughs> sometimes the sun doesn't rise there and it's dark 24 hours a day. Oh, That's all. Man. I'm getting That's conflicting all. information here. Okay. No, all I, right. I love Alaska. Um, September 23rd, 2023, Springdale, Arkansas, World Championship Squirrel Cook-Off. It, it's big.
1: It's going to be big, man. It's
0: going to be big. Brent Reeves is going to be there. I'll be there at some point. I just, I'll just be there.
1: We'll tell Alaska stories when you get there.
0: Okay. I, w- I will have been to Alaska. So, Ben, dad class. Dad net. DadClass.net. Elon Musk owns DadClass.com. Don't go there. Don't be on, there. on the
1: lookout for that special podcast on cooking up a story. Yeah, I'll oh, be there. Joe's we'll Joe's be there.
0: podcast cooking up a story. We'll be there. Yep. Okay. Yep.
1: Dad Class. Check it out. Jonathan, you
0: peddling anything? <laughs> <laughs> Bicycle.
3: <laughs> 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 Nailed it. Oh.
0: That's it. over. Out. Out. I Thanks, thought you planned Gregory. that out. That's perfect. That was so good. Oh man. Uh, now we're done. That's it. Mike, talk to you next week.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier unlike many online butchers you can grab just one meals worth or lock in for a subscription box choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef american wagyu free-range poultry grass-fed lamb wild caught king crab seafood and more For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit MarketHouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. Around New Year's, we get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we've already done right. Maybe you finally organized one part of your space and you want to tackle another. Or maybe you're taking your supplements every morning and now you actually want to eat breakfast. In the last year, I've been more diligent about going to the gym on a regimented schedule. And it's made a lot of difference in my life therapy helps you find your strengths so that you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries it empowers you to be the best version of yourself it isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma if you're thinking about starting therapy give BetterHelp a try it's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Grease today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Grease.